are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Here I am in Sweden. I don't know if you can see behind me, but there's a beautiful lake off in the distance. And here I am right here right now doing our YouTube Live from a conference. Uh, This is the 23rd Calvary Chapel Scandinavia Conference. Uh, We've been going every year since 1999, and uh, we missed two years for COVID. That would have been 2020 and 2021. So it all comes out to 23 years that we've been having this conference, and uh, I am here at a beautiful lake uh, on the coast of a beautiful lake in central Sweden, taking your questions and answers. Uh, And so we're very pleased that we can do this. It's a great time that we're having together at the conference. I just got done doing a teaching. Uh, My assigned text for this evening was to teach on 1 John chapter 2, verses, I think it was 15 through 29. And what a great passage it is. I, I organized it like this. I said that there were two problems and a solution. And the problems presented were the problem of worldliness, the problem of false religion, and then the solution was very simple, abiding in Jesus. Simple concepts, but not always simple to live. So you're going to see it get darker behind me. You may see a few insects buzzing around. Hopefully they're not going to be biting me. And I'm going to be taking your questions and answers live here from Sweden. It looks like it's getting lighter behind me. I don't know if that's happening with the sun or whatever. But again, we just enjoy being here And uh, thank you for that. We may have a few guests step by. I've told the people in the conference that when they're done with this session, uh, they're finishing up. I can hear them worshiping God and having a time of prayer after my teaching session. I told any of them if they want to come by and just say hi and look into the camera, they can do that. So we're going to see if any of that happens. Okay, so let's get to our lead question today. And the lead question comes down to this. Church competition, is it good or is it bad? And uh, Janet asked this question. It's a question that we couldn't get to in a previous question and answer time. And here's the question from Janet. Pastor Guzik, I always look forward to Thursdays as you answer and enlighten me on many questions I have. Janet, thank you. Happy to hear that. Uh, I have observed that we have a competition of choirs and on answering Bible questions. Is it acceptable to have that kind of competition in the church? Well, Janet, that's a very good question. Um, I, I would say often it's not good to have that kind of competition. You know, there are many ways to motivate people, to energize them to action. And some of those ways are frankly kind of carnal. They're uh, kind of uh, um, just ungodly in the way that they operate. They They stir up pride. They stir up an inappropriate sense of competition. Now, I believe in general, there's nothing wrong with the spirit of competition. Um, You know, if you're talking about athletics, if you're talking about a lot of areas in life, competition can be fine. But in the church, we shouldn't be seeking to have some people be winners and some people be losers. And listen, there's a few things that it's really, you know, a pie eating contest at a church picnic. Go ahead, have your competition. It's not a big deal. But when people are tried, when people 
when the attempt is to motivate people to spiritual service through competition, I don't think it's a good thing. And so I think we need to be on guard against that. So again, there, there's certainly some innocent forms of competition that I wouldn't think two things about. Uh, I gave you know, a, a pie-eating contest at a church picnic. Wonderful. Go for it. But sometimes churches have competitions between, you know, they divide the church between the red team and the blue team, and they have a contest to see who can bring more visitors to church over the next couple weeks. And the red team or the, the team that wins gets a steak dinner, and the team that loses, they get a dinner of beans and something, you know, things like that. Listen, I, I think that that's not a good thing. And I think that in general, uh, oftentimes, excuse me, I hit the chair that we're on and we bounced a little bit there on the screen. I think in general, we have to guard against a spirit of competition in spiritual things. It's very common for churches within a community to have a very competitive spirit one with another. Listen, as someone who was a pastor for almost 30 years over three different congregations, I know how this works. I know how common it is for churches to have just kind of this competitive spirit one with another. Um, you know, you're trying to outdo, you're trying to be bigger, you're trying to be better, you're trying to better programs than another church. And I would just say in general, it's not a good thing. We should not feel in the body of Christ that we are in competition one with another. Rather, the image that I like to paint is that we should feel as if we're putting up points on the same scoreboard. Hey, fellow Christian of a church that loves Jesus and teaches his word, I'm not in competition with you. We're, we're working together. Our competition is against the devil and his kingdom. And that's what we're trying to compete against. And so uh, I really caution pastors against this attitude of a competitive spirit with others. A.W. Tozer, if I was better prepared today, I would have had this uh, set up for you so I could read it to you because it's a great thing. But A.W. Tozer has a great little section called, um, I Refuse to Compete. And it's just a tremendous little thing. I wonder if I can call it up quick here. Oh, here it is. Um, I Refuse to Compete. Let me read this to you from A.W. Tozer. It's great. It's a prayer that he prays. Okay, ready for this? Dear Lord, from this point on, I refuse to compete with any of your servants. They have congregations larger than mine, so be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts very well. That is not in their power nor in mine. I am humbly grateful for their greater gifts and for my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use to your glory the modest gifts as I have. I will not compare myself with anyone nor try to build up my self-esteem by noting where I may excel one or another in your holy work. I want to make a blanket disavowal of all intrinsic worth. I am but an unprofitable servant. I gladly go to the foot of the cross and regard myself as the least of your people. If I am wrong in my self-judgment and actually underestimate myself, I do not want to know it. I purpose to pray for others and to rejoice in their success as if it is my own. And indeed, it does belong to me if it belongs to you. For what is yours is mine, and while one plants and another waters, 
It is you alone who gives the increase. Some great words from A.W. Tozer. That's from his book, The Price of Neglect. And to me, that is something that I ran across years ago. And I kind of want that to govern my thinking, my acting when it comes to uh, this whole idea of competition among churches, competition in ministry. It should be far away from us. Oh, good heavens, I feel terrible. Um, I've made a mistake here. I forgot to include with me the mug for this week's giveaway. We're doing another giveaway this week. Thank you, moderator, for the reminder. And I forgot to bring a picture of the mug. Good heavens. I don't know if the moderator can somehow throw a picture of the mug in the comments. I don't think we can leave images in there. But friends, we're doing another mug giveaway, and I forgot to give it. Okay, here's the rules. Uh, We'll try to include them in the uh, show notes if we can. But today, we're going to give away three more mugs. We did this last week. And uh, we're going to do it again today. And I wish I had a mug to show you the cool, enduring word mug. Um, It looks like this. Wait, I don't know if it looks like that, actually. Anyway, um, it it doesn't look like that. The moderator is messing with you. It looks different than that. But it's a very cool, enduring word mug with a cork bottom. And and we're going to give away three of them again today. So this is what you have to do. You have to, number one, uh, give us your name. Tell us where you're viewing from. That could be city, state, country, whatever. And here's the other thing. You have to hang around till the very end of our broadcast. Because if you don't hang around to the very end of the podcast, then or the, the, the live chat, the YouTube video that we're doing right now, if you don't hang around to the end of it, then we don't have any way to contact you and tell you that you're the winner and that you're going to get one of the three mugs. And so here's what you got to do. You got to stay with us. You got to tell us your name, uh, or at least your screen name. Screen name is enough if you want to do that. Tell us where you're viewing from, and it's going to be a random drawing at the end of the program. About 10 minutes before the end of the program, we are going to cut off our contest, and uh, our crack team will get at work and let everybody uh, run it through a random generation. By the way, this is not a competition because it's a random generation, nobody wins, but there's gonna be some people who win this cup, three people. So um, I hope I've explained the rules well enough. Uh, Moderator, if I haven't done that, you're gonna have to let me know. And so, um, yeah, I I think it's very important that just to let everybody know, we are doing the giveaway once again Uh, To my understanding, we're giving away three mugs again today. And just like last week, we'll announce the uh, winner at the end of the program. But again, to win, it's nice if you subscribe. We appreciate you joining our our subscriber list. It's great if you click notifications on as well. Hey, smash that like button. Everybody likes that. And that's what my granddaughter says I need to say. And then uh, finally, we, we need you to hang around to the end of the program so that we enter in all the names into a random generator and then express it. Hey, uh, moderator, let me know if I've uh, done a good enough job letting everybody know what's going on with this. So uh, let's get to the questions now that is coming in in the live chat. Okay, good, thanks, moderator, I appreciate it. Uh, Here's a question from Lynn. Is it possible to go to Catholic Church all your life, follow their beliefs, and be truly saved? 
All right, uh, Lynn, I would say this. I would think it would be very rare, very rare to do that. I'm not going to say it's impossible. Look, uh, somebody said that when you get to heaven, there's going to be three surprises. There's going to be people there that you didn't expect would be there. There's going to be people that you did expect that would be there and they're not there. And then finally, you're going to be surprised that you're there. So some people said there's going to be three surprises. So I'll always allow for God's surprises. But I would say that it would be rare, Lynn, because I'm going to read your question one more time. Is it possible to go to Catholic Church all your life, follow their beliefs, and be truly saved? Lynn, if somebody follows the official teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, they are likely to put their trust in their own works. They're likely to put their trust in the church. They're likely to put their trust in ceremonies instead of in Jesus Christ himself. And that, spiritually speaking, is deadly. And so, Lynn, again, I'm going to go back to how you phrased your question. Is it possible to go to Catholic Church all your life Follow their beliefs and be truly saved. Listen, I praise God that there is a lot of people in the Roman Catholic Church that don't follow their beliefs, that don't follow their ways of saying that you're saved by a combination of works and faith. And please, I understand I'm oversimplifying what the Roman Catholic Church teach in those things, but I, I think that that's a fair, if I could say, it's a fair oversimplification. Um, so Lynn, just based on that, I would say that it would be very rare. I'm not gonna put it in the realm of impossible because I'm gonna give uh, opportunity for God's surprises in such things, but um, to follow the beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church is to put yourself in spiritual peril. I'll put it to you that way. Okay, let me move some things around here in case somebody comes and sits beside me a little bit later on. Let me get on to some other questions here from the live chat. Caleb asks, love your commentary, Pastor David. My question is, is a person able to be baptized in the Holy Spirit without having the evidence of speaking in tongues? Caleb, I would say absolutely yes. I would put it this way, that speaking in tongues, the legitimate gift of tongues, there are people who feign it or counterfeit it. So we're talking here about the legitimate, the real gift of tongues, that it is an evidence of the, Holy, of the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's just a very significant distinction that I would make. I think that there's been a lot of unintended damage done in the church through the teaching that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And one of the things it does is it uh, makes people seek the gift of tongues or pretend the gift of tongues simply to prove something. And uh, that's not a good thing. That's not a healthy thing. So uh, Caleb Yes, absolutely. And, and we gain this from a few different places. Uh, first of all, there's no place where it's clearly taught. We have a couple examples where a group of people were filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and all of them spoke in tongues. Yes, we have a few examples of that in the scriptures, but we don't have anything in the scriptures that says 
that this is the exclusive or always evidence of being baptized. Listen, if you really want the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit in a person's life. That's a much more reliable indicator that a person is filled with the Spirit rather than any particular spiritual gift. So Caleb, I hope that answer is clear for you and helpful for you. Um, let me just say again, because we're on with the program here, uh, listen, uh, I'm very, very happy to say that um, I'm bringing you today this live Q&A from Sweden. And so here I am uh, at a Christian camp near Vinoka, Sweden, and uh, we're a group of Calvary Chapel congregations and fellowships just sitting here and enjoying our time together. Uh, I have somebody who's come by and sat down. Are you intending to come and be a part of it? Come on over, Daniel. Come on over. Come, have a seat. And um, here we go. Here's a question from somebody. Here's Daniel Jacobson. Hello. Daniel pastors at Calvary Chapel work in Denmark. That's correct. What's the city again? Hillerod. Hillerod. Almost. I know. I can never say it exactly. No, no, that's okay. You know, the R's give me a terrible time. Yeah, I just, it, they're so difficult for me. Yeah. So uh, anyway, Daniel, um, here we are. You enjoying the conference here so far? We are, except for the weather today. wasn't <laughs> The nice. weather's no. it rained no. a lot. All day it? long. All day long. But the conference's been good. Yes. And Daniel's one of the organizers of the conference. And uh, thanks for all the work you put into organizing this thing, Daniel. Thank we appreciate you. it. You're welcome. And thanks for coming out. Great. So here's how it works. You know, I get the questions in a text message from the moderator who gets them from the people who come on there. And so we're going to hear, just give the question right here. Um, here we go. Uh, Hev asked this question. Oh, that's your daughter coming up here. Do you think she wants to appear here? No, you don't want to get on YouTube, do you? No. No, she didn't want that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Hev asks, hey, Mr. Guzik, uh, if we feel like we're they say Mr. Guzik. It makes me feel old. Hello. Okay, hello. Hey, Mr. Guzik, if we feel like we're backsliding and struggling to get back on the horse, what should we do? Thank you so much. All right, Daniel, what advice would you give to somebody who's backsliding? And, and they say, okay, I want to I wanna stop that. I want to get moving on with the Lord again. What, what would you recommend to them? First of all, I'll say good for you that you're recognizing it. Because that, Isn't that fantastic? That is a, that's a big step. Um, I'm a big Lloyd Jones fan, and he's he says that if you recognize that you're a sinner, if, if you're sad about it, if you're sorry about it, if you hate your sin, that's a very very good sign. I guess the same goes for backsliding. Yeah, it's a very significant mark just to be aware of it and just it's, to say I want to do exactly, something about that's it. That's proof yes. that you're Christian to begin with. And then if you're backsliding, um, well, I think of a thing that Chuck Smith used to say that out of Revelation that. Uh, if you left your first love, you should go back and do the deeds that you first uh, first did. You should, uh, how does that go again? You probably remember. Do the first works first, again. That's what it talks the about works. there yes, in, exactly. in what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus. Exactly, yeah. So, so go back, read your Bible, go back, pray, spend more time in the Bible, spend more time for just like you would your wife. If you're not close with her anymore, then spend more time with her. That's right. Go back to those basics of your relationship with God. Prayer, reading the Bible, spending time with other Christians, worshiping God, telling other people about Jesus. Just these basic things in the Christian life. Have That's what I would do. And again, you should be super, super encouraged that you understand that um, you have been, or maybe this is about someone you know, uh, in a backslidden state, and now you're, you're, you're dedicated to moving on. 
So fantastic. Okay, uh, next question is from Terry. Terry asks this question. Isaac asks his father where the sacrifice was, but later on they were in agreement and he allows Abraham to bind him. Was Isaac in agreement that he would be sacrificed by his father? I, I believe that he was when, I don't think at the first time when he asked, where's the sacrifice? I don't think he knew it then, but I did do think that when he was tying him up on the altar, I do think they were in agreement. Yeah, Daniel, wouldn't you say that there's no reason to believe that they wasn't in agreement? No. Uh, especially when you consider the age difference. Um, certainly, Isaac was in his late teens. There's some Jewish commentators who even believe that he was like about 30. But let's just say yeah. in his late teens, something like that. And Abraham was a very old man by this time. He could have easily overpowered his father. So Isaac shows a tremendous amount of submission to the Lord's will uh, in that situation. Um, you know, on the YouTube channel, we're putting out new videos uh, each week about uh, the book of Genesis. I'm teaching verse by verse of the book of Genesis. And I don't know if this video has been released yet, uh, perhaps not, but we're going to get to Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. And it's very important to see that Abraham's faith was not in that God would stop him, but his faith was that in God would raise Isaac from the dead. And I think that perhaps um, Isaac was bold enough to have that same faith for himself as well. So, yeah, praise the Lord. Okay, next question from Barry. Is a patriarchal society still important today? What are some good biblical passages to support this? All right, Barry. Do you mind if I answer this one? No, not at all. You <laughs> talked about it earlier today, so go for it. All right, Barry, I want to be clear on this. I believe that the Bible teaches male leadership or male headship in two senses. Okay, in two arenas. Number one, the Bible says that husbands are to be the head of their home. That's very clear in passages such as Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, that the husband is the head of the wife. And, and that implies, among other things, it has several implications, but one of the things that implies is uh, leadership position. So there's the headship of the husband in marriage, and I think the Bible also teaches the leadership or the headship of qualified men in the church congregation. Uh, again, we're not talking about every man in the church uh, being ahead of every woman in the church. No, 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 that's not the idea. But of qualified men, the Bible says that they are to be the head in the local congregation. Now, Barry, I'm not aware of any biblical command beyond that, that men should lead in academics, in government, in business, in whatever else area of society. And people can argue whether or not that's good or bad. A lot of people try to make those arguments based on creation or natural order. They're free to do that. But I want you to know, I'm a Bible guy. And I'm very hesitant to bind anyone's conscience based on something that is not taught in the Bible. So I would not prohibit a woman from holding political office, from being a CEO, from being involved in academics, from running a business. 
because the Bible does not prohibit that. The closest I've heard people bring to this is there's a passage in Isaiah that mourns the fact that a society has been so decimated uh, by violence and war that women and children are leading the society. Well, again, it's referring to the obvious calamity that's come upon that society, that the men are dead mainly through war and women and children leading the society. That's not a command against women leadership. So if people want to make the argument for those things, for patriarchy, if you want to say that, beyond what the Bible says, then they just need to be very clear that they're not doing this on a biblical argument, but on some other kind of argument, natural law, created order, whatever they say. But I think we need to be very clear about what the Bible teaches and what it doesn't teach. Barry, that's how I would answer that. Daniel, do you got anything to add to that? Not at all. Okay, great. All right, look look at this respondent there. Mm, someone from Sweden. That's right. Tuno Banan, a subway right there. Shugotre. Uh, Hello from Sweden. Are the bodily needs to eat, drink, sleep, bodily waste consequences of the fall of Adam and Eve? Ooh. Tuno Banan, Shugotre, I would say no. Don't you think, Daniel? I, I agree. Jesus did all those things and he was without sin. There you go. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking of the example of, of Jesus. I was just going back to the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And God told Adam and Eve that they were free to eat of every tree in the field. And presumably they did uh, apart from sin. He and put, so that makes a lot of he sense. He put Adam to sleep. That's right. Yeah, yeah. sleep too. Yeah. Yeah. Put Adam to sleep. Presumably they had bodily functions of elimination. And so, yeah, so no, um, they were not a consequence of the fall. Now, just like everything, the fall corrupted those desires, but uh, they did not come into existence because of the fall. Good question there. So you mean overeating would be wrong, whereas right. normal eating just to live would right. not be wrong. Right. Or even enjoy eating, but overeating. Right, overeating, oversleeping. You know, th there's lots of ways that the bodily desires can be uh, satisfied in an excessive way. Good. Okay, Jared asked this question. Hey, before we go any further, you know, Daniel, I feel kind of dumb because we're doing a mug giveaway. Okay. And I forgot the mug in my room. Oh, no. Isn't that a shame? It but is. We showed it last week, and I think someone showed it there in the comments or something like that. So we're giving away three Enduring Words. But you know, Daniel, one thing we don't do, we don't have Enduring Word merchandise. Okay. You know, we don't sell merchandise. Good. We, we don't, I don't want to mess with that. What a hassle. But we give away things just because, well, we have extra and so we give them away. So if you want to be a part of this giveaway, you just have to put your name or screen name in the comments. Let us know where you're viewing from. Hey, we'd like it if you subscribe and like and click notifications, but that's up to you. And then um, at the end, about 10 minutes before the end, we're going to cut off the thing and uh, our staff will give a random generation of three names and we'll announce who the winners are. That's how we do it. Cool. We did it last week and it was a lot of fun. Okay, next question comes from Jared. Pastor Guzik, do you have an opinion on the Berean Standard Bible, the BSB? Jared, 
Let me be very straightforward with you. I've never heard of the Berean Standard Bible before, so I have no familiarity with it. I can't give you one bit of opinion on it, good or bad or whatever. It's just something I am completely unfamiliar with. Daniel, have you ever heard of the Berean never. Standard Bible? Never. Sorry, we just have no familiarity with it, so we can't say anything about it. Sorry as I brush away some kind of insect there. All right, so Jared, sorry we couldn't be a better help, but I'm going to move on to the next question from Dan, who asks... Uh, any advice on how to approach my teaching as a pastor when I know that a self-described atheist will be in attendance as a visitor? Oh, that's a good one. It is. So here's his church. Dan is a pastor. A self-described atheist is going to be in attendance at a church. Daniel, if you knew that to be at the case at your church, would you change your teaching? Not at all. Maybe I would. Maybe I would preach the gospel clearer. You'd make it a special point. I'm going to present the gospel, present the gospel very clearly. Doesn't the Bible say that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? So. It does say that, doesn't yeah. it? Okay, so you, you would just really do that. You wouldn't, would you uh, change, like if you were going through the book of a Bible or something like that, would you change something different where you just go from where you plan to preach? Not at all. Okay. You would just make it a point to give a clearer, uh, or just made sure that you gave a very clear gospel presentation. Yeah, what would you do? Okay, well, I think I would do the same thing. I don't think that I would try to argue for the existence of God. You know, sometimes that's always a temptation. There's an atheist in the group. Here, <laughs> Strange. Yeah. I have no idea who that was. No. Okay, anyway, uh, I would make it a point not to try to spend time proving the existence of God, but just to make sure, just as you said, Daniel, to give a very clear presentation of the gospel. And um, I would also not try to dumb it down, uh, but just speak very directly. And that, like you say, to have your trust in the power of the gospel to, uh, well, to bring salvation to people. That's where God says the power is. Exactly. So yeah, that's what I would do. Okay, I hope that's helpful for you there, Dan. Next question comes from Christopher. We have somebody else coming out and visiting here? Oh, we yeah. Do. Yeah, we do. He's going to answer questions next. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm going to have to reset the camera when he sits <laughs> yeah. down. Oh, yeah. I am. Um, okay, well, maybe he can slouch down or something. Okay, next question comes from Christopher, who asks this. Um, does God do coincidence? Or is everything predetermined connected with significance? How should we feel about supposed coincidences and God's role in them or not? Ooh. One of the big ones, huh? Okay, do you mind if I give my perspective and then you just share however you feel about it as well? Mm -hmm. Okay, um, Christopher, there's two ways to look at this. Number one, there's how things appear to us in everyday life. So there's how things appear... And then there's how things actually are from God's perspective. There's man's perspective and there's God's perspective. From man's, excuse me, from God's perspective, there are no coincidences. God has a plan. He has it all mapped out. He's got it from beginning to end. God, it, at the very least, God is allowing all things and not as coincidence. I mean, that, that's the safest way that you can say it. Okay, that's the one aspect. But now here's the second sense I would give of this 
is that from our perspective, there are things that just seem to happen coincidentally. So in that perspective, I guess, hey, look, we got some children here. I hope we're not going to have to sign waivers for them for the EU. I think that was brief enough. Know. Okay. Uh, so I, I think that from man's perspective, there are things that legitimately appear to be coincidental. They don't have any great significance or apparent significance behind them. And that's just simply how I would um, say that. So that puts it right there. I, 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 that's how I would explain it in terms of the differing perspectives between God's perspective and man's perspective. Anything to add on that, Daniel? There's the big word providence that comes to my mind, uh, which, which does mean that God, he, he takes care of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looks after us and that he makes sure that everything happens like he wants it to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is really, really difficult to understand because it can seem like we're just ants in an ant circus. Yes. <laughs> but, but I don't think that's how we should view it. Um, but we should view it as a loving father taking care of us and um, wanting to make sure that we're taken care of. Yes. I like that, Daniel. That's great. Thank you for that. Do you want to sit down? Take my place? For one question, maybe. All okay. right. Come on over, Jesper. <laughs> I'll say goodbye. Okay. It was nice being here. Thank you, Daniel. Good to see you, man. Good to Appreciate see you. It. All right. Be careful, Jesper. When you sit down, don't like hit the, the table because it kind of jumps around. <laughs> was it a good question for you to leave on, yeah, Daniel? I think so. Okay, good. All right. Uh, Jesper, let me move the camera. Oh, you're, you're in there. I'm in. You're in there just fine. Okay. The reason why we joke around is that Jesper is a man of great stature. As we're sitting together right now, the, the difference between his stature and mine isn't really apparent. But anyway, that's Jesper. Yeah. And you know what? Jesper is a man who often tunes in to the Q&A. That's right. You won't say every week, right? But no, often. But... Yeah, often. Yeah. So now, look, Jesper, you're here. You're live from Sweden. That's right. Does this like fulfill a dream for you or something? Sort of. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> you need to get bigger dreams. That's all I got to say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay, um, here's the question from Akkadian. Okay, are you ready for this question? In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 36 through 39, who are those who draw back? What exactly does draw back mean in that verse? Do you mean read the verse? I'm okay, sorry? I'll read the verse, yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 36. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Do you mind if I kind of go off on this one a little bit? Please. Okay, (laughs) yes, let me tell you, because I like this question because to me, it deals with one of the really big themes of the book of Hebrews. And I see Hebrews as being a sermon to Christians from a Jewish background who were suffering persecution, suffering trials, and they were being tempted to retreat from a full-on Christianity to something that was just kind of this vague common area 
in common with Judaism. And what the writer of the Hebrews wants the Hebrews to know is that salvation isn't in that vague common area for Christians. It's in a full-on um, pursuit of Jesus Christ. So drawing back would be pulling back to something that's safe in the Christian life, something that nobody would want to persecute or uh, battle against. And I think that that's what it is, that drawing away from that. So that's how I would um, describe that. Uh, I could give a lot more explanation, but really it's people who want to have like a one-third Christian commitment, a halfway Christian commitment, because they're afraid that if they were to live a full-on Christian commitment, that they would suffer persecution or opposition in some way. That's, they, they, in their minds, they're saying, I don't want to turn my back fully on Jesus, but neither do I want to press on for him. That's kind of my idea. Yes, do you got any thoughts on top of that? No, I don't. Okay, you don't. I have never. Yeah. No, I have no clue. Thank you for that. Though. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. Now, yes, but I do just want to say some things. I, I've seen a few of the, of the comments coming up here. I've noticed that a few people from Santa Barbara really? are, are, are viewing. Yes. Do you have anything you want to say to the people, anybody viewing from Santa Barbara? That I miss them. I okay. miss Santa Barbara <laughs> so much. Okay. And you and I spoke earlier tonight. Yeah, we did. We did, didn't some we? Some people that, that I um, always come to, um, come to talk about with other friends who were there. Yeah. And so I had a really good time. Great. And, uh, Maybe someday you'll be able to visit again. I hope so. That would be awesome. I hope so. Okay, great. Okay, next question comes from Andrea, or Andrea, however you pronounce that. Uh, they say this, how do I know if I'm waiting on the Lord or procrastinating? How do I know if I'm hoping in the Lord or having unrealistic expectation? Woo! First of all, I don't know if you noticed, folks, there's children running around behind me, because we're at a conference here in Sweden, and the children are playing and having a wonderful time, yeah. even though it's getting kind of dark outside. Okay. How do I know, to me, these are two separate questions. Right. Number one, how do I know if I'm waiting on the Lord or procrastinating? That can be a tough one, can it? It is a tough one. Wow. I, I would just refer that person to this verse. Uh, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. But because outwardly speaking, procrastination and um, waiting on the Lord can look exactly the same from the outside, but it really is an attitude of heart, is it not? Right. And so really that would be the difference between the two. So that's what I would say about the first aspect of the question. Now the second aspect of the question, how do I know if I'm hoping in the Lord or having unrealistic expectations? I'll tell you what answer I would give yes for. I would base it on a promise from God. True. Do you have a promise in God's word that gives you basis for that hope? Or I would even say sometimes, and yes, but I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes um, something just kind of spoken to us by the spirit of God that a promise is for us. And look, that's not 100% certain whether or not we've heard properly from the Holy Spirit in that, but uh, I, I do give allowance for that as well, uh, mm, yeah. for um, the Holy Spirit to sort of make alive a promise from us. Yeah. And so that, that's, that's kind of the way I would express that. 
Right. Um, if I have someone who, who is sharing something with me mm-hmm. um, in a moment where I did not expect it, but I just can see how that is somehow can can be confirmed in my own life maybe or something in a situation where I'm in and just saying, wow, God, do you really want to use me in this? Mm. Um, um, something that I maybe haven't really been able to, or didn't even think about coming up with myself, for example. Yes, yes. No, I, I think that's a good perspective to have on that. Okay, great. Well, Andrea or Andrea, I hope that answers your question there. You want to go on for another one here? Ready? Yes, let's go. From Alfredo. <laughs> Did you see that one down there? Are you reading these from the I'm screen? I'm reading it right from? now. Okay. Is it correct for a priest to demand me to obey him if I don't follow his orders? Wow. Daniel, what do you think of that question? I think it's not correct. Yeah, okay. I have one question for you. Should I go get your mark? No, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Thank you for asking, though. What Daniel's asking about is a mug. We're giving away three enduring word. Did you see that last week? Did you see the coffee mug last week? We're giving away three or more of those things. And I feel so stupid. I left one of those mugs there. Do do you want them to put in your name in the random generator? Yes. Okay, uh, Annie, put Jesper from Hövde, Sweden, right. there in uh, the random generator. And who knows, maybe you're, I can't guarantee you anything. No, this no. is out of my hands. It's a random generator. And by the way, it's up another, um, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. In 10 more minutes, we're going to cut off the thing and, and get to the, so what you got to do is you got to um, stay on till the end of the video. Otherwise, you won't know that you won. And we'll need your contact information from you after that. Okay, so uh, here's the question again from Alfredo. Is it correct for a priest to demand me to obey him if I don't follow his orders? Uh, Alfredo, I would say no. Um, what, what that priest, pastor, spiritual leader, what he would have to do is he would have to give you basis in the word of God. Following his orders isn't enough. Um, but you got to uh, have a basis in the word of God. As a pastor, as a preacher, as a spiritual leader, our authority only goes as far as the word of God. And so, no, we don't have authority beyond that. So based on a demand to obey a priest's orders, that sounds like it's something outside of the scriptures. A a, a pastor or spiritual leader, whatever you want to call it, they can call people to obedience to God's word, absolutely but not to obey my orders as a priest or pastor. Yeah? Hmm. Sound good, Jesper? Sounds good. Yeah? Daniel? Sounds good? Okay, he gives a thumbs up over there. Uh, Dan asks this question. uh, Have either of you dealt with believers in the church that are going down the flat earth trails? I feel they get too sidetracked on that and lose focus on growth in Christ. Flat earthers. Jesper, are you one? Do you believe in a flat earth or do you believe the earth is round? I believe the earth exists. Okay, you believe the earth exists. Listen, I, I tell you the part of the flat earth thing that's never really, underst- I've never been able to understand a, a, a lot of it. Is I've never understood the motive that people would have if the earth truly is flat and there is this great conspiracy to hide it and to make everybody think that the earth is round and that it's a, it's a sphere and not something flat. 
I don't get the purpose of hiding it. I don't get the purpose of the conspiracy. So that, that's it. So um, I, I would just say this, Dan. Yes, I think it can be a huge distraction to people. And um, I, I don't think it just, you know what? Um, if the earth were flat, I can't see how it matters all that much, even if it was. So, I mean, I, I just don't think it's, it's worthy of much attention from a believer. And I've never been able to understand the purpose or the benefit or the, the reason for such a conspiracy. So, all right. Next question comes from Christopher. Oh, I guess maybe we skipped one. No. No, no, no. Okay, we skipped. Okay, <clears throat> the, the Alfredo one of Rupert. Right. Christopher asks, what's meant by Paul's comment in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8? I know Daniel's memorized the whole Bible, but I'm just going to read this for this sake. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now here's verse 8. Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Uh, what's meant by Paul's comment there in verse 8? I, I think it's pretty straightforward. Just that the rulers, the leaders of this age, the religious leaders, the political leaders, the economic leaders, uh, the, the, the military leaders that existed at the time of Jesus, they did not perceive or understand who Jesus was. And if they truly would have understood who Jesus was, they would have never crucified him the way that they did. And again, when I say they didn't just understand that Jesus was a prophet or a good man, but if they would have understood that he's God the Son, the Son of God, then they would not have crucified him. And really, that's simply what Paul's saying right there, is that if they would have understood, then they would have never crucified Jesus. And again, I'm not even saying if they would have understood that Jesus was a good man or a holy man or a prophet, but if they would have understood who he is in his fullness, God's Messiah, the Son of God, and God the Son, they would have never crucified him. Thanks for that question there, Christopher. Next question comes from Jocelyn. We've got about five more minutes before we put the clothes on, that our, is. on our thing. Jocelyn asks this question. Uh, may you explain Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4? I'm getting a lot of questions from Hebrews today. It is impossible for those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit um, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of this age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. All right, Jocelyn, you're talking about one of the big controversial passages in the book of Hebrews, uh, this one that uh, speaks of being there's no salvation if a person rejects the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for them, if they turn their back on that sacrifice that Jesus made for them. Jocelyn, I would recommend to you that you take a look at my commentary on that section. That's one of the benefits on having a verse-by-verse -verse commentary through the entire Bible. I can just recommend that people look at that and dig into it. And matter of fact, if you go to our YouTube channel or to our website, you can see where I have teaching on that exact passage in Hebrews chapter six. But I'm just gonna give you a very quick summation of it. Listen, what this is getting to, Jocelyn, is simply this, is that there's no salvation except in Jesus Christ. That's it. And if you turn your back on Jesus, you're turning your back on salvation. That's just it. 
You can't retreat to religious rituals. You can't retreat to the traditions of the past. You can't uh, rely on yesterday's relationship with God. You need to have a living, breathing, active relationship with Jesus Christ and put your trust in him. There is no other sacrifice that can atone for sin other than what Jesus Christ has provided. And if you turn your back on that sacrifice, you're turning your back on your salvation, on anybody's salvation, period. Salvation is in Jesus alone. That's really the effect, the upshot of that passage. But I recommend that you take a look at my commentary for a little more in-depth explanation of that. Okay, next question comes from Donald. You see that question there? I do. Do you want to read it? Donald asks, Is all sin the same? Whoa! Is all sin the same? Daniel? <laughs> Would you mind if I give a crack at that? Oh, you're free to go first if you want. Oh, um, <clears throat> I could give a little try. Sure. All sin the same in the sense that if you commit sin towards people, of course not. It's not the same. It has effects. And um, if I just, if I, if I sin against you in one way or another, it will have different effects on you. So uh, stepping on your foot isn't the same as stabbing you in the heart. They're not the same thing. I don't think so. Okay, okay, I get what you're saying. But in the eyes of God, I am not sure, even though I've been your Bible student. Well, I'll put it this way. Okay, you have to just put this in perspective. Every sin is the same in the sense that every sin makes you guilty before God. Hmm. A small sin makes you guilty before God. A big sin makes you guilty before God. But nobody should think that all sins are the same even in God's eyes. Uh, throughout the Bible, God makes moral judgments and says that some sins... In Old Testament Israel, the law that God gave to Israel, some sins were punished more severely than others because God recognized that they were more serious sins. So there is a narrow sense in which we would say all sin is the same, but it's simply in the sense that all sin makes a person guilty before God. Uh, I hope that's clear enough. You think so? Anything you'd add to that, Daniel? Yes, he, Daniel's referencing 1 Corinthians where Paul puts sexual sin in a category of a unique sin that sins against one's own body. And that's, that's uh, at that. So I hope you guys can hear the children playing in the background. To me, I love that. I hope it's not too distracting. To, I hope it's wonderful for our listeners. Daniel, is it your children among that no, enjoying the no, evening? My no? children are fading. Now, these children aren't being bad. They're just enjoying themselves. Okay, okay. Okay, all right. All right. Okay, DS asked this question, and we have just got a few more minutes. I'm going to answer this question, then we're going to... No. Um, okay, I'm going to cut off the entries, then I'm going to answer this question. Okay, because our moderator said cut off the entries. Yeah. Friends, right now we are cutting off the entries to our contest to... Uh, give away three Enduring Word mugs. I feel so bad that I don't have one. I'm sorry, team. Andrea, Annie, Nathan, sorry to let you down that I forgot it back in the room, but I think everybody knows that they get something really cool that's free. Um, and make sure that Jesper goes in the list for the random drawing. 
But don't give him any favoritism in the random drawing. He has to win it just like everybody else, okay? He's on the same level as everybody else uh, that. So, but Jesper from Sweden, he's in the running for this. Okay, team, get to it. And in a few minutes, we're gonna get back. Yes, they say the mug is pretty. See? So that's, that's good. Okay, so we're gonna get back to it in just a few minutes uh, and let you know who the answers are. If you're a winner, you gotta hang on to the end. Otherwise, we don't know who you are and you don't know that you won and we need to do this. Okay, um, next question from DS. Mm. You ready for this question? I'm Whoa. gonna read it. DS, do you consider Calvinism a heresy in the sense of God determining the unelect to be predestined to hell as in God intentionally sending those people to hell? Is this a heresy? Okay, DS, again, different people may give you different answers to the questions. I'm gonna give you my answer. I'm happy to give you my answer. Here's my answer to that question. Absolutely not do I consider Calvinism a heresy. Now, I'm not a Calvinist. Um, I, uh, I, I don't agree with all the aspects of Reformed theology, so I guess that would make me not a Calvinist. But I've received so much benefit and so much good from Calvinistic and Reformed authors and writers and preachers that I'm grateful to God for it. And even though I believe that the more extreme Calvinistic teaching of double predestination, because that's what you're talking about here, uh, not every Calvinist or Reformed person believes in double predestination, but those who do, um, I, I believe that's an incorrect teaching. I would even go so wrong to say, I believe it's a false teaching, but it's not a heresy. You, you see, DS, heresy, in my view, is a belief where if you believe this, you're going to hell. Um, teachers who teach this are sending people to hell. And even though I think that's an incorrect teaching, I don't think it's a heresy on that level. So th that's the way I would understand that, DS. Anything to add to that, Jesper? No, I, th I think it sounds good. Okay. Um, yeah, e even if it's a, a um, difficult uh, and a hard topic. Yes. Um, it doesn't lead people to hell. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yes for Daniel, we've got three winners here. You want me to announce the winners? Yes. Of course, I'm gonna announce the winners, whether you like it or not here. Ready, here we go. Winner number one, Adrienne Dyke from York, Pennsylvania. Congrat. Yes, I'm sorry, you didn't win. I'm looking at the list right here. Sorry, brother. You, you just come up empty. Next time. I'm sorry, maybe next time. Okay, Adrian Dyke from York, Pennsylvania. Congratulations. You're gonna get an Enduring Word mug. Please contact us and give us your postal address so we know where to send it. Second winner is Andrea, or Andrea, in Panama, uh, uh, from New York City. So, uh, Andrea in Panama, you're gonna need to contact us and give us a uh, address so that we can send to you. I don't know if you live in New York City or you live in Panama, one way or another, but you know what, we're dedicated to getting that mug to you. It may take a little while to get to you, but we're gonna send it to you. If you're in Panama, we're gonna do that. And then finally, our third winner is Christopher Musante, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Christopher, from Gowanda, New York. Congratulations to Adrienne, to Andrea and to Christopher. Congratulations to our three winners. Please, winners, make sure that you give us your, uh, your 
Uh, contact information, we can get in touch with you. So we need your address so we know where to send it. Okay? Way to go. Congratulations, winners. Isn't that exciting? It is. All right. All right, last question. Oh, oh, good heavens. We have a last question, then a lightning round. <laughs> oh, man, the moderator is killing me here. Who is this moderator? Oh, oh, he's laying it on thick. Okay, first of all, last question, then the lightning round. Whew, here we go. I need to take another drink of water. Peter asked this question. I was listening to Pastor Chuck Smith speaking about the many mansions being prepared for us. He said it's the resurrection body given to us and not a building. I never heard this mentioned before. What are your thoughts? Uh, Peter, I think that that's a very real possibility. I, I, I didn't hear the message from Pastor Chuck that you uh, are citing right there. Uh, so I don't know if, um, if he's presenting that as a certainty or as a possibility. But I will tell you this, Peter. What I do know is that... The word mansions there is really just translated dwelling places. Jesus says, hey, Barnan. Jesus uh, speaks to them as, as, as dwelling places. And it's fair to say that the resurrection body is a dwelling place. So it, it's entirely possible that it's speaking of the resurrection body, but um, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say myself that it's certain. So that's just simply where I would leave that. Okay, that, that's how I would answer that. All right, lightning round. Here we go. Ready? Quick answers to these four or five questions. Here we go, and we're going to end with this. Okay, are we all right? Moderator, we're going to end with these in the lightning round. Thank you. Okay, Lynn, you answered my Catholic question earlier, and I agree 100%. But shouldn't we be trying to open their eyes to biblical truths so that they can possibly be saved? It's so sad to me that they may be deceived, yet consider themselves saved. Lynn, absolutely correctly. We need to speak the truth in love to everybody. And speaking truth in love who believe errors in Roman Catholic doctrine. By the way, not everything in Roman Catholic doctrine is erroneous. But the things that are erroneous, and the things that um, especially, uh, they're erroneous and that they have to do with salvation, yes, we should be speaking the truth in love. So Lynn, I would agree with you absolutely on that. We should be speaking the truth in love to others. Okay, uh, Renea asks this question. You don't have anything to add to that, do you there? No. Yes, Bert? Okay, uh, Renea asks this question. Does competition deplete honor? I would say no, not necessarily, Renea. Um, uh, competition can give honor to people. Uh, what we're worried about with competition is not how it bestows or doesn't bestow honor. What we're worried about with competition is how it um, can be used as a carnal motivator. That's really our concern with competition. A next question comes from Dan. Looking at the current vapid society in Luke chapter 7, are people today unable to see an authority above themselves and leading more to a culture of prideful behavior and willful rejection of Jesus? Um, Dan, I would say yes. I would say that is the general trend of society today. People unable to see an authority above themselves. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Okay. And they're leading more to a culture of proud behavior Yes, and willful rejection of Jesus. Yeah, uh, Dan, I would say true on all three counts as far as I can tell. So um, yeah, I, I would say that we see those tendencies within society today 
very much so. Okay, two more questions. Uh, Andrea, Andrea, or Andrea, Andrea, however it said, maybe it said Andrea, Andrea, I don't know. What kind of access did common people have to the kings in biblical times? For example, when Pharaoh told the midwives, Shipra and Pua to kill the Hebrew babies, did he ask them themselves or other examples? Uh, Andrea, I would say that people in the ancient world normally had very little access to kings. Uh, kings would not want to spend much time around the common people. So it very well could be that this command to the Hebrew midwives went out through representatives and not from directly from Pharaoh to the midwives. But I will say this, if Pharaoh wanted those midwives to appear before him personally, directly, then it was because he wanted to intimidate them, to make an impression on them. And so he may have done that just for that purpose. Okay, mm -hmm. last question, Gabriel. Question, is it considered a sin if one chooses not to donate a kidney to someone in need? Ooh. Wow. Daniel, did you hear that question? I did. Gabriel, it's a little tough for me to answer that question, and I'll tell you why. I'm a kidney donator. I donated a kidney. Uh, some 10 years ago, I think 11 years ago this summer, I donated a kidney. Um, and so for me, it's very hard to see why or hard to think of why a person wouldn't donate a kidney if they didn't have a medical problem with it. I mean, obviously some people are more at risk in, in being a donor. And if a person was at risk, I would understand. Uh, but if a person wasn't at risk, I, I would say to them, based on my own personal experience, do it, donate it. You can do enormous good in somebody else's life. But whether or not it was a sin, I come back to the principle that... Um, there being no direct command in the scriptures, it would really be what the Holy Spirit's speaking to their conscience. And if the Holy Spirit's speaking to their conscience and saying, do it, and they say, no, I'm not gonna do it, then they're sinning. But if the Holy Spirit isn't giving them that command, then I think that God would not hold them guilty for that. That's really the best kind of question, uh, answer I could give to that, Gabriel, um, being that there's no specific command other than the general command that God gives us to love one another. If I could talk to that person, I would say, do it. Assuming you're in good health, assuming that you're able to do this and you're in good health and all that, you can do enormous good for somebody else by the donation of your kidney. And I've lived the last 11 years with only one kidney and I don't notice it all. I don't even remember that I only have one kidney. Uh, doesn't affect me in the slightest. And it did some good for a lovely woman in Queens, New York. That's who got my kidney. They flew it all across the country and put it in, her in, in New York. So, guys, that's it. Any last words for our uh, YouTube audience today? Last words? Yes, Bert? <laughs> Good to be around here. Okay, great. It's great to have you. Yeah. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Hey, everybody. Um, next week, I'm going to have a guest host the Q&A for me because I'm going to be on a flight home next Thursday. But there'll be a guest filling in for me and uh, it's gonna be a great Q&A. Save up the hardest questions you can for my guest next week. And uh, it's gonna be a wonderful time. God bless you. Thank you for joining me all the way from Sweden. 
So we say, hey, do, tak for komar. And uh, we're so happy that you could come and that you could be with us here today. And we look forward to seeing you the next time that we have our Q&A together. Next Q&A will be in a week from today, but I won't be hosting. I'll be having a special guest and uh, I hope you can join us for that. So God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Congratulations to our three mug winners, uh, Adrienne, Andrea, and Christopher. I hope you've made contact with us by the email address that we gave to you. God bless you, and thanks so much for joining us. Thanks to our moderator and our team uh, for putting all this together. It's fun to give things away. God bless you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.